0: Diversity of ideas is harder than it looks. Welcome to Innovation for All Conversations on the Social Impact of Innovation with your host, Shana Alkvist. Shayna Alquist here. Before we get to today's episode, I wanted a quick announcement. So I started the Innovation for All podcast because I believe these conversations are really, really important. There are lots of people who matter, quite frankly, that haven't always been included in our idea of innovation or entrepreneurship. If you agree and you think these conversations are important, don't just keep it to yourself. I hope that you'll share innovation for all on your favorite social media platform like Facebook or leave us a five-star review or a worse review (laughs) on iTunes. And with that, I'd like to get to today's episode. So today I speak with Delali Podzo, founder of We Are Onyx, the first all-in-one beauty destination for women of color. Lolly grew Onyx from a startup to $2.5 million in sales in less than five years, and has worked with brands like Estee Lauder and been featured in publications like Refinery29 and the Huffington Post. Our conversation really made me rethink how our society thinks about beauty and ideals, and who's not included in those ideals. More importantly, it illuminated the impact of that, both that there is a huge amount of money being left on the table, and that a ton of people are getting the message that their beauty is, in Dalali's words, complicated. We also talk about how Dalali was able to turn a kernel of an idea into a revenue-generating business and record time. Enjoy. Dalali Pozo, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. So I'm hoping you can share a little bit about what Onyxbox is just to kick us off.
1: Absolutely. So Onyx Box is part of a bigger beauty destination called We Are Onyx, a place where Black women and women with kinky, curly natural hair and women with darker skin can go and find beauty products, styling tools, but more importantly, resources and community around our beauty and understanding it, managing it, exploring it, and enjoying it. And the Onyx box is an opportunity to actually be able to try out and discover new beauty products ranging from hair, skin care to makeup products that are designed specifically for our hair types and our skin tones. And also that happen to just really work for us, even if they are not necessarily designed specifically for
0: us. Oh, that's awesome. So essentially it's sort of like a subscription box service for your type of hair.
1: Yes, absolutely. For our type of hair, our skincare issues,
0: and our beauty needs. So, I'm a white lady. Uh, So, as a white lady, I don't have access to these kinds of experiences with um, the particular skincare or hair care challenges that someone like you, for instance, who I guess let's add you are a black woman. (laughs) um, And I think the first time I ever was even introduced to this as a concept was, oh gosh, maybe the late 90s. Tyra Banks had a talk show. And yes. for all I know, she still does. I don't, I don't watch a lot of daytime TV. Um, <laughs> but, but she was talking about ashiness of the skin and how basically everybody has excess skin on their body. But when you have darker skin tones, that becomes visible in sort of an unappealing way. And that was my first time ever understanding that there are actually legitimate differences in the beauty needs of, for, for instance, someone with darker versus lighter skin. Right. So I was wondering also if you could, so I know we're going to talk about the origin story, but just to give a little bit of context. So like I said, let's imagine for a second that I'm a, a bald white man and then listen <laughs> okay. to, to this podcast going, gosh, I wish I could brush my hair. <laughs> I have no hair. No, but to someone who doesn't have any experience having kinky hair, can you talk a little bit about how it's a different experience than maybe someone with white hair would have?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um hair textures are vast and extremely diverse and people can even have different textures on one head, but there are some hair textures that, you know, are not part of the broader mainstream hair care conversation. And so because of that, Some of these hair textures are perceived to be complicated and difficult, but it's mainly because there isn't a lot of education in the mainstream around managing that hair type. And in the mainstream for a very long time, there weren't a lot of hair products to address those type of hair textures. So hair textures that I'm talking about can be kinky, curly, curly, particularly, you know, super, super, super curly and just prone to frizz and prone to breakage and prone to all kinds of different things and sort of need a specific type of special touch and product you know, ingredients and things like that. And that's really at the heart of what we're addressing with Onyx in terms of understanding that as Black women, as women of color, even there are Jewish women who have very curly, very coarse hair. There's a very specific way in which this type of hair needs to be managed and taken care of in order for it to, you know, flourish and look
0: fantastic. Can you talk a little bit about some of the specifics of that?
1: Yeah. Kind of
0: routines and all that.
1: Absolutely. So um, kinky hair, super curly hair does require a lot more moisture for it to stay uh, sort of pliable and to improve the elasticity, which prevents it from snapping and breaking. Depending on how coarse your hair is, you might need a lot more hair products like creams and moisturizers and things like that to help to keep it moisturized. Water isn't necessarily going to be enough for you. You have to kind of keep that moisture going all day long. So shea butters and certain oils and things like that tend to be really important for those kinds of hair textures.
0: Oh, that's interesting. So, and I'd love to hear about the origin story of Onyx Box because you're, you're the founder, correct?
1: I am. Uh, years ago at this point, my goodness, about seven years ago, I was working a really, really busy job. It was one of those jobs where you didn't get there at 8.59 and you didn't get there at 9.01, you got there at (laughs) 9.00 AM. So I was having my hair braided all the time because it was a much easier hairstyle to manage. It was the type of hair you didn't have to do every single morning. So it just made my routine a lot easier. But of course, wearing hairstyles like that requires someone to usually do it for you. Um, But in advance of that, obviously once a month or so, you would have to take those braids out, really wash and deep condition your hair before you had them reinstalled. And so I found myself on that fateful weekend. Um, having taken all my hair out and being prepared to get it washed by someone and blown out and prepared again to be braided. It was a whole weekend process. And the first woman who was supposed to wash and blow dry my hair for me, the morning of the appointment, I get a call from the front desk at the salon that said she had a flat tire and she couldn't make it into the salon. So they had to reschedule me. But because of the nature of, you know, I needed this one person to do this process, to go to another person to do a process, Mm. I couldn't afford (laughs) to reschedule. And so I panicked and I was calling everybody I knew, trying to find another stylist who could do my hair because I had no idea what I was doing and I certainly wasn't gonna do it. You know, at the time it just seemed like too daunting of a task and too much work and effort. And I called around everybody, but of course, At 10 a.m. on a Saturday, if you don't have a hair appointment, you're not getting a Mm -hmm. hair appointment. So I couldn't find anybody to do my hair. And it was probably about 8 or 9 p.m. when I finally realized that I was going to have to do it. And that's the moment when I genuinely appreciated that I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know the first step, the second step, or the third step. And it was because, you know, for the most part, when you go to the stylist, it's like getting a massage, you turn off, you let them do what they're going to do. And then you hang out, you're on your phone, maybe you're napping, (laughs) you're not paying attention. So you don't know all the steps and the pre-washing techniques and all kinds of things that go into the preparation of your
0: hair. Well, well, let me ask, I mean, this sounds a little bit more complicated than I would have assumed as like, like I said, a white lady.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you have to detangle your hair before you even get it wet. Because if you hop into the shower with tangled hair and then you make that hair wet, what normally happens with really kinky hair, which is the kind of hair I have, is that it shrinks when it gets wet. It Uh, coils up. It gets even more curly. So if you can imagine it's tangled and then it gets even more curly, it gets even more tangled. So there's a whole detangling process you have to do first before you get into the shower and get your hair wet. I didn't know any of this stuff. And so I hop in the shower you know, at two o'clock in the morning when I had finally, finally reckoned with the fact that it was gonna be me washing this hair. And I did all the wrong things. I didn't detangle, I didn't use a conditioner. I didn't know what I was doing. And I had tried to Google some things, I tried to YouTube some things, but even in that process I realized that I didn't even know the terminology that I needed to use Mm. to find the information that I was looking for. This realization that A, I didn't know what to do, B, I didn't know how to ask for what I needed, and C, I didn't know what products to use, and I I certainly didn't have them myself. So all of this happened. I somehow managed to get this hair washed and dried and and emerge with some hair left on my head. Um, And then I got it braided the next day and went back to work on Monday like nothing ever happened. Ah. It was this nagging sort of thought in the back of my head like, wow. At that point, I was 30 years old and it hit me that night that I didn't know how to wash my own hair. I didn't know how to wash the thing that was growing out of the top of my head. Mm-hmm. And that to me was completely unacceptable. And as I started to talk to other women, other black women, Everybody could echo exactly that sentiment. Like they didn't really know what to do. You know, they were so reliant on their stylist. And stylists are fantastic. They have a certain skill set that the average person doesn't necessarily have. But the reality is, if I need to suddenly wash my hair, I should know how to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all of that realization together came to me and was like, wow, there should be a way out of this. There should be some way for someone like me who's super busy and doesn't have hours to spend on YouTube, really getting to know the lay of the land, to learn how to manage something so basic as her own hair. And as I started to look a little further into it and do research, I then started to realize how much Black women were spending on hair care, on skin care, on makeup, that we were literally over-indexing in every single beauty category, that we spent three times more than every other demographic on every one of these categories, and that all by ourselves, we were supporting a beauty industry that was worth $7.5 billion every year. That realization, plus the realization that so many of us were not necessarily completely in control of our beauty, but wanted to be part of the conversation, that's where Onyx came from. It really was born out of a personal need. I personally needed it. And at the beginning, it was totally focused on hair, but of course, as we started to get into the nitty gritty, that's when all these other things came to light. You know, this realization that as a very dark skinned woman at the time, I couldn't just go down to Walgreens or the local pharmacy and pick up drugstore foundation. They didn't make it dark enough for me. I would have to go and spend sixty, seventy dollars at, you know, the Mac counter to get foundation. Whereas so many other women could spend nine dollars or seven dollars to buy foundation. And then If I'm not lucky and I go back to that MAC counter six months later to get another bottle of foundation, they might tell me that the color is discontinued. And it was this constant reinforcement that our beauty was an outlier. Our beauty was expensive. Our beauty was complicated and it was ripe for discontinuation. And all of those things together, given how much we were spending in these categories was completely insane to me. And that's really the moment that we understood that we had an opportunity here to
0: do something. Wow. Well, I'm also wondering, this is sort of a, a tangent, why a subscription box model? And I guess, secondly, aren't you still subject to discontinuation? And as you as Onyx aren't you even in bigger trouble when like that amazing foundation is discontinued?
1: hmm So why a subscription box? That was really an opportunity for us to encourage discovery, Because the best part in a way about beauty is how malleable it is, how flexible it is, how different it is, how unique it is. And everyone is searching for their own personal experience. And we didn't want to create a scenario where, again, we were expecting people to know what they wanted. We wanted rather to introduce them. To new products, introduce them to new ideas, and also expand people's horizons, go beyond the brands that you know, and discover new brands. And so the subscription box is really the best model to get that done over an e-commerce model where you are expecting the customer to already know what it is they're looking for and be willing to take the risk and buy the full-size product, unsure of whether or not it's going to work. And on the topic of discontinuation, what has been really amazing about the time that we started this company and the way that the beauty industry has changed is that that idea of discontinuation is now publicly unacceptable. That I shouldn't be able to find my foundation at the drugstore is publicly unacceptable. These used to be issues and gripes that we would have privately in our communities, but now it is in the open stage. So, you know, in beauty, a lot of us laugh about like the world before and after Fenty Beauty. (laughs) Um, Fenty Beauty being Rihanna's cosmetic line that launched, uh, gosh, at this point, maybe about a year ago, maybe a little bit more than that. But the very first vertical that she launched in her beauty line was foundation. And that foundation range had 40 shades ranging all the way from the fairest, 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 fairest skin, um, foundations that would work for someone with albinism, all the way down to the deepest, deepest, darkest shades. That foundation range sold out in the darker end of the spectrum nearly overnight and kept selling out again and again and again. And
0: that was an eye-opener in the beauty industry. Well, and it's so funny to me too, because I understand from a business perspective, and this is something we talk a lot about on the podcast, that you're going after sort of the main chunk of consumers, right? Because it's, it's cheaper, it's more effective, all that. But then what ends up happening is you have everybody competing in the same space and you're essentially leaving these market opportunities that no one's paying attention to. So mm-hmm. isn't it ridiculous that first of all, this happened last year, which is not very long ago, right? but that like I assume part of the reason that this did sell out so quickly was it's the only person playing in that
1: space. Yeah. You know, and the funny thing is Fenty actually wasn't the only brand playing in that space. Estee Lauder has a, an even larger range of foundation shades. Uh, Makeup Forever has a huge range of foundation shades, but obviously Rihanna being attached to it brought Mm -hmm. um, additional attention to it. But The other thing about those lines was that they weren't necessarily screaming from the rooftops that, hey, we have dark shades too. Rihanna's line did. And so it got a lot of attention and that helped people to recognize that, oh, wow, these other brands also have these fantastic ranges. But more importantly, it created a benchmark that beauty brands now understood if you want to play in this game, you have to address everyone's needs not the needs of your quote-unquote ideal customer exclusively and not the needs of you know what you're going to call your mainstream beauty because beauty is changing. Specifically in the United States, the demographics are changing, but more importantly, globally, the demographics are changing. And there's a, a huge multicultural market. There's a huge multiracial market. And all of those people need to be addressed and need to be seen in beauty because really beauty is for
0: everyone, period. Henry Ford once said, if I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. Sounds like Ford hired a bad user researcher. PhD Insights is different. They help understand the attitudes and motivations that underlie what customers claim. And this is good for business. So if your company isn't adding attitudinal feedback to their data pipeline, they're missing half the story. Learn how PhD Insights can help your company with pricing, product strategy, and positioning by visiting phdinsights.com. That's phd-insights.com. One of the things I think is really interesting that you're you're sort of touching on is how it's not even just enough to offer a product for Black women. It's, It's also about the positioning. And I know that's a big part of what you do now, but can you talk a little bit about how, Onyx Box has come to focus on black women instead of quote unquote women of color. And what that distinction means in marketing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we uh, took a decision to very specifically address black women and to say it that way, because there is a little bit of a murky space uh, specifically in marketing. When we start talking about women of color because that lumps together a huge swath of women who range in shade, who range in hair texture, um, who come from all over the world. And so it almost becomes this kind of a murky space where you don't really know who they are talking to, who they are talking about, who they are addressing. Because even in that quote unquote woman of color space, there's a huge range, right? So it's a little bit difficult to pin that down from the customer perspective. And, you know, when it comes to beauty, being able to customize and genuinely understand what is this product for, what does it do, and who does it address is extremely important. So we chose to address Black women because, A, we were not... You know, and some might argue that we are rising into it, but we're not there yet. We were not centered in the beauty conversation and we wanted to center black women in the beauty conversation. Given how much we were spending, we're a hugely lucrative, you know, demographic. We spend a lot and we have a lot to say about it. And we like to share and we like to tell our friends about it. I mean, it's the ideal customer if you're looking at it from a
0: 100 different angles, and how have you, as again, the marketing person, made sure that you're communicating this is a product or a, a service for black women?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, we literally say so. <laughs> we say so. But also in our imaging, we use a lot of black women in our imaging. We share um, beautiful images that we find on social media of black women we share we photograph a lot of black women for uh, as models for a lot of our product demonstrations our ad campaigns and we worked with an amazing artist who actually created a beautiful beautiful image of four black women diverse skin tones diverse hair textures that actually lives on the inside of every single one of our Onyx boxes. She additionally creates a beautiful insert card every month that also is an illustration of a Black woman in sort of some kind of a high fashion sort of pose that essentially becomes a piece of artwork that our subscribers can keep.
0: Oh, that's so cool. Well, and I'd love to talk about Aside from the fact that Onyx Box is focusing on uh, Black women, what are some other things that you feel differentiates uh, your service from competitive products?
1: Absolutely. I think that we are really, really good at being predictive about what our customers are going to want or like. Because the curators of the box are Black women themselves, we're on the inside of these conversations. We ourselves are having these struggles and issues and concerns And so we know personally what we would be looking for in the summer versus in the winter time, what type of hairstyles are trending right now and what products we would need to achieve those styles. And so because of that, we're able to infuse our own personal experiences into the box product, while also obviously taking into consideration products that have done well in the past, categories that people are particularly interested in. And in doing all of that over the course of the last six years, one of the things that has really emerged in the forefront is skincare, that Black women are hugely interested in skincare and are looking to address a lot of very specific skin. Care needs that are not part of the mainstream conversation. Can you talk about some of those needs? Yeah, absolutely. So, hyperpigmentation is something that affects everyone, actually. So, hyperpigmentation is when the melanin in your skin. Goes to a particular area that is damaged. You either have acne or you have a cut, let's say. And as part of the healing process, it kind of overmelanates. So even uh, fair-skinned people can have this reaction, where you know you might get a scar on your hand, and as it starts to heal, it starts to look a little bit darker than the surrounding skin. In darker-skinned women with even more melanin, that is even more exaggerated. So if you have acne and that acne goes away, A, you'll have acne scarring, right? So that the texture of your skin is kind of different. But B, you might have hyperpigmentation on every single spot where you had acne. And if you can imagine the kind of damage that can do to your face overall, it can be really, really devastating and also really frustrating because it takes a long time to sort of get that skin back to an even tone with the rest of your body.
0: Gosh, I'm I'm just shaking my head hearing that because I think of all the acne I've had over the, you know, 33 years I've been alive. And if there was some permanent or not permanent, but longer lasting version of that, that would be such a drag.
1: I know that would be really frustrating, right? So, and then you end up having to wear a lot of makeup and what if you don't like makeup or what if you can't find your shape, you know? So then it's, it's sort of this endless cycle. And so hyperpigmentation is something that really matters a lot, particularly to darker skinned women. But if you look at the average skincare commercial on television, you will never hear that word said. You'll hear even tone, clean, clear skin, you'll hear you know, all these other types of keywords, but those keywords are not specifically addressing that issue and that issue is the one that is on her mind. So if she hears that keyword, she's clued in, she's connected, she wants to know what you're talking about. So hyperpigmentation, for example, is one of those types of topics that is particularly on the minds of darker-skinned women and yet is not being discussed in the mainstream. And so when we program our box, we are looking for products that address hyperpigmentation, that do it naturally, over time, instantly, you know, whatever the case may be. But that would be one of the ways that we really focus our box
0: well and do you do you go out of your way to only use products that are created specifically for black women no absolutely not so one of the things
1: that i really pride our um you know in myself uh, regarding how we curate the box is that we really focus on giving you the best products whether those products are designed for black women or not is semi-irrelevant. We want the products to be good quality and we want them to work, to do what they say they're going to do. And so if we have an opportunity to work with Black-owned brands or brands that are specifically focused on Black women, we're delighted. But if there is another product out there that does the job better, that's the product I'm going to program because I'm also looking to push our subscriber base to try more diverse product ranges and to try things that they didn't even realize could work for them because very often those brands don't know how to share that information with the demographic.
0: Well, and it makes so much sense to me that you're by doing that, you're really adding a lot of value to your customers because you're now providing access to something that they wouldn't even know how to look for themselves.
1: Exactly.
0: I know you and I had talked about this in a prior conversation of um, a kind of product that might fit that a kind of product that might fit. Oh, so so I think you had told me about like an apple cider vinegar product that wasn't oh, yeah. designed for black women, but was a great fit for, for Onyx box.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So one of the sort of home remedies, beauty remedies that has been kicking around for a million years in the black community is the use of apple cider vinegar to rinse the hair. It clarifies the skin. It helps to kill bacteria clarifies the scalp specifically, um, and also clarifies the hair without being too stripping. Now, unfortunately, apple cider vinegar stinks. (laughs) (laughs) And so then the process of trying to get that smell out of your hair is like, you know, its own 10 more steps, right? (laughs) but it was something that we were willing to endure because it worked so extremely well. It was natural. It wasn't particularly expensive because it wasn't a beauty product per se, but you know, it worked. And so a couple of years ago, I was at a beauty convention, you know, one of these places where as a buyer you can explore new brands and meet brand owners and talk to them about their products. And I was walking by a table and my eye caught a bottle that said apple cider vinegar rinse on it. And I circled back and I took a better look at it and I realized that this brand had come up with this amazing apple cider vinegar hair rinse that smelled great and it actually lathered. And I was in shock. And I looked up at the brand owner and it was, you know, this really lovely white woman. And I said, do you have any idea what you have here? And she just looked at me confused. And as we started to talk, I explained to her that apple cider vinegar was, you know, a traditional part of beautification in the black community and that it smells. And this is amazing that they found this new way of presenting the product that smells great and actually lathers and is specifically designed to do what it is we were doing with it at home. And I said, I would love to put this in the box. I think, you know, this would be a real game changer. And so we were able to set up a partnership. We got the product into the box and it was a smash hit. People were so thrilled about it. And the brand itself said that they had no idea that there was, you know, they had hit this opportunity. They really built the product specifically for women who colored their hair Mm -hmm. because apple cider vinegar um, wouldn't strip the hair color out as opposed to another shampoo. And so it did. It was like a twofer. And in introducing it to our community, we introduced the brand to our community. And then the brand became much more interested in really talking to Black women and doing it in an authentic way because they realized, wow, this product is universal. This product could work for everyone. Let's start to center all these other women in this conversation as well.
0: Man, I I totally see the value in that. And like I said, I think you're really providing value for your customers in- Curating it, but curation is such a buzzword now. And that basically just means we're selecting something for you, but it doesn't necessarily communicate that it's good anymore. (laughs) Um, But it sounds like you guys are actually providing real value in your curation. Well, And I was wondering, what do brands and companies get wrong when they try to pursue Black women as a market?
1: I think that, you know, rushing your product development process is... Always, it's ripe for disaster. And the way that that represents itself is that very often um, brands will come out, let's say, with a foundation line extension where they're adding additional shades, but they're not really considering the undertones of those shades. They're not really considering the finish of those shades. And so when the customers receive them, it almost seems like an afterthought, it seems like a cast off you know, we're just doing this so that people won't say that we don't have shades for you. And that not putting the extra effort in to get it right, that
0: is the key problem. So Delali, lots of people have great ideas. How did you go from thinking, what the heck, I don't know how to do anything with my hair to surprise, I run on Xbox now.
1: (laughs) It was overnight.
0: (laughs) It's always an overnight success, right?
1: right? (laughs) The idea, once we had kind of fleshed it out and the we being me and my uh, first business partner, we actually took it to her boss at the time. Um, She was working also in film finance. I was in film finance at the time. I was working at an agency and she was working at an independent shop. And we took it to her boss, who is interested in diversifying um, his personal investments. And he really was taken by the idea. We gave a great pitch, but more importantly, we really showed that this was a huge market opportunity that really wasn't being tapped and addressed. um, And there was no one out there like us at all. And he was into it and he became our angel investor. And he gave us our first start. So he gave us our first $100,000 and that's really how we took off. And for the most part, for quite some time, we were really bootstrapping it. We were uh, working off that $100,000, but we were hyper-focused on a profitable business and on creating profit right from the beginning, and later on is when we started to take on additional investment. So really, not until we got into like you know a year, two years in, did we actually start to take in outside investment.
0: Oh my gosh, that's amazing! So essentially, you had access to an angel investor really early, and then yeah. you were able to use that that money to build a business that then you could then raise proper funds for.
1: Exactly.
0: What did that fundraising process look like for you? Because I'm imagining I'm imagining a room full of stodgy white men who are (laughs) going to be evaluating the merits of a black women's (laughs) beauty product box. And how on earth do you communicate the value of that to someone who might not have any personal experience with the need? Absolutely. So I mean one of the things
1: that I preach now heavily to founders who talk to me about fundraising fundraising as a person of color fundraising as a woman uh fundraising in a space where vcs inherently are going to be like what are you talking about and the one thing that i tell them which is something that we developed when we started pitching a lot was to address the elephant in the room up front and the elephant in the room was we were not talking to women and these men didn't know anything about cosmetics. And they certainly didn't think that black women's cosmetics was something that they should concern themselves with. And so we would address all of their fears upfront. We would say, we know that this is not something that matters to you. We know that, you know, for the most part, Black women's beauty regimens don't really matter to you, but here's how much they are spending on beauty. And if you can think about how much your wife spent last month on cosmetics and skin care and beauty treatments, if you consider that the average black woman is spending three times more than she is, then you understand the massive opportunity here. And that, for the most part, was the eye opener for a lot of people in the rooms that we were standing in. And then they were willing to listen because it really didn't we weren't asking them to find emotional connection to what we were doing. We weren't asking them to understand that black women have this problem where they go to the store and they can't find their color. And when they do, it gets this. We weren't asking any of those questions. We were just stating the very simple facts around how much we were spending and how little the industry was actually focused on us. And we showed them that there was an opportunity there.
0: That's so interesting. So essentially by telling them straight up front, you're not going to connect emotionally to this product. But by the way, here are the numbers. You were able to convince them. Absolutely. That's super cool. Is there anything else you want to share about the process of growing Onyxbox before we move into our end of podcast questions?
1: Yeah. I mean, I would just say that I was, I am someone who had never founded a company before. I didn't know the first, second, or third thing about any of it. And so we very much taught ourselves in the process, in the building of the company is how we taught ourselves how to run a company, how to hire staff, how to, you know, strategic planning, all these types of things that we were not, you know, well versed in. And so one of the things I I love to share with people is that you don't have to inherently know what you're doing. You just have to be willing to learn.
0: I feel like that's the the hallmark of, both successful business people, but also successful entrepreneurs. There's this willingness to, my uh, husband has a great story. His dad wanted to build a stairwell that went down to their basement. Mm -hmm. And so he started by drilling a hole in the ground in their house. And then there was a hole there. (laughs) (laughs) And his dad said, Well, I guess I'm going to figure out how to build a stairwell now.
1: (laughs) Right. Because we have a hole. (laughs) We have
0: a hole. Yeah. So sometimes there is something to be said for, like, you don't know how to do this, but if you rip off a guess what? You're going to figure out a way to make it work. Exactly. (laughs) So what is something you've changed your mind about in the last few years? And it doesn't have to be about on Xbox.
1: Yeah, I think I've changed my mind about uh, the stories that I tell myself. And I think everybody has these stories. I don't like this. Oh, I never do that. I never go here. I never, you know, any of those types of like f- final stories, those those stories you tell to have this sort of grand finale and sort of say something about who you are or what you believe. I've started to actually really question those stories and been willing to question myself and been willing to take a look at you know, my beliefs and, and some of the things that I subscribe to. And and I think it, it, it's it been a really, really healthy process. Just understand that you're not finished yet. Emotionally, you're not finished yet. Mentally, you're not finished yet. Uh, intellectually, you're not finished yet. And there's always an opportunity to learn and to reassess
0: what you think you know. Can you give an example of something like that? Because I've I've gone through the same experience myself recently.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that For a long time, I had told myself that I couldn't be sort of strategic in conversations. I didn't know the first thing about how to, you know, work a conversation or work a room. And I was really bad at it. And I had terrible stage fright. And I told myself all these things that would then result in me not giving interviews Um, you know, not sitting on panels, not even engaging in something like what we're doing now, just for fear that I wouldn't be able to shine my brightest. Until I finally said to myself, do you think that on the first day of the Oprah show, Oprah knew exactly what she was doing? Do you think that she was full of confidence? Do you think that she, she woke up one day and was Oprah? No, you know, it's something that you develop." over time. And you have to find your speed and your your space for it. And so once I finally said, yes, I am someone who gives interviews. Yes, I am someone who sits on panels. I was able to actually
0: manifest it. Wow. That's such a good lesson. And it's one that I'm relearning myself constantly that, like you're saying, we're not finished yet. Yeah. And what's a company or a product that you think is doing a good job at going beyond sort of unspoken norms or expectations.
1: I think that if we're going to play in the cosmetic space, I actually think that Makeup Forever is a really, really smart and innovative brand. I think they're not the most buzzy brand these days in the world of the internet and Instagram brands, and there's so much hype around brand new things. But in terms of like what we would call the OG beauty brands, I think Makeup Forever has always had a view to a very diverse customer and has always been open and interested in her and has always carried her shades and always carried her products and they don't talk about it enough. I would argue that they really need to talk about it more and to, to have that conversation and to share with people that they've been doing this forever and they will continue to do it. It's not a fad for them. Long before Fenty Beauty came along, there was Makeup Forever and there was MAC Cosmetics and there were these brands that always saw us. Um, And I think that the world is different now. And now you really have to, to publicize that. You have to get that message out there. Otherwise, people are going to be like, you know, clouded by all the other messaging that's running around.
0: Oh, that's so interesting. What is a view that's widely held by your peers that you just aren't totally convinced by?
1: I am not totally convinced or rather I wouldn't say I'm not totally convinced. I, this is absolutely true. It's a very real phenomenon. It's a huge problem. And if we go back to the idea of fundraising, you know, VCs, the way that VCs deal with women of color founders, um, the rate at which our startups are funded is an embarrassment. It is an absolute embarrassment. And I really do feel like black women in particular are extremely entrepreneurial and yet we are not seeing as many vc funds as you know our counterparts are now on the flip side of that i have never walked into a room asking for money and ever thought that i was at a disadvantage because i was a black woman i refused to entertain it and i think that for me personally, has been one of the reasons why I am confident when I walk into those rooms. Because as far as I'm concerned, if you are focused on the color of my skin, then you're, we're not on the same page. You need to be focused on the things that I'm talking about. Whenever I'm talking to you, black female founders or women who are aspiring to become founders. And they talk about, you know, this Achilles heel that we have as women, as women of color. I say, all of this is a hundred percent true. All of this is valid and important. Now you need to put that in your pocket,
0: Mm. walk into that room and ask for what you want, period. Wow. Well, and final question in this sort of space. So, the goal of Innovation for All is to have conversations about this intersection between innovation and the people who innovate. And a lot of times people tend to be overlooked in that conversation. Mm -hmm. Who are two people you think we should speak to on the podcast?
1: Oh, wow. Ooh, that's exciting. I would say one of those people is Amy Nelson. Um, She is a founder that I have recently gotten to know. She is absolutely lovely, brilliant woman. Um, She's a former attorney, but she is also the founder of The Riveter, which is a co-working space designed for women. And the reasons around why she created The Riveter are the most powerful, um, the most universal, and it is coming from a very loving, meaningful place. And as a result, it is becoming extremely successful. And it has been really, really exciting to watch someone who is really in it for all the right reasons, but is absolutely brilliant about it at the same time really succeed.
0: Well, you've you've sufficiently tempted me with that intro.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, it sounds First like you're Amy right. an okay guest.
1: <laughs> you insist, right? <laughs> yeah. Amy, I think, is an absolutely brilliant, brilliant founder. I also think there's another woman who is. Uh, Pre-founding, her name is Dawn Thomas. Um, She also comes from the world of entertainment like me. She was a producer and has produced some fantastic films that I guarantee just about everybody who's listening to this podcast has heard of. But she was also really, really passionate about stories about women and women telling their own stories and women telling diverse stories and getting out of this concept around what chick lit is supposed to be and what kinds of stories we as women are supposed to care about. And she is building a platform that is about to revolutionize the reading space and the community around reading for diverse women, not just black women, but Asian American women, Latina women, First Nations women, it's about to be the biggest thing in the market and
0: getting a chance to speak to her now is priceless. What ask would you have for the audience? What
1: ask would I have? So this is an opportunity where I could really push the box. I could push my service. I could push, you know, just getting involved in Onyx or, you know, partnering with us. But I think in the grander scheme, what I would actually ask is that we continue to have these conversations, is that we listen to these podcast episodes and that we action on them, that we patronize the brands that are representative of the global community, that we reward them, that we call out the brands who are not, that we let them know that it is no longer acceptable to leave huge swaths of the population out of your beauty conversation, Um, And that we shake up our old perspectives of what the ideal beauty is. I think in 2018, we have all come to understand that individuality is king. And everybody wants to be their own person and deserves to be. And no one is striving or aspiring to be anyone else. They're only striving and aspiring to be their, their very best self. That would be
0: my ask. And where can people find you on the interwebs and the socials, both you and on Xbox?
1: Yeah. So Onyxbox, we were really lucky. We got every single platform. Our handle is at WeAreOnyx. Um, so W-E-A-R-E-O-N-Y-X. And then my personal handles on Instagram are at It's Delali, which is I-T-S underscore D-E-L-A-L-I. That's really the best place to find me. Delali Poza, thanks
0: for joining us on the podcast. Thank you so much. hope you're enjoying today's episode. If you are, you can help us out by visiting Innovation for All on iTunes and leaving us a review. See you soon.